0: A man with nothing to lose is the most dangerous man of all. And then we travel to Pennsylvania to take a look at a series of stories surrounding a now-abandoned campground. Is it possible that when kids were out at camp, having the times of their lives, they were actually just seconds away from being devoured by the dark? today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host Jason Carpenter, I'm having a great day, I hope you guys are having a great day too, I hope you guys have some awesome plans for the weekend. We got a lot of stuff to cover today, so first off, running into Dead Rabbit Radio Command, everyone get on your feet and give it up for Justin Mosier, woohoo, yeah, wee, (laughs) he's all running on in. Running on into Dead Rap Radio Command, big smile on his face. Justin Mosier, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. He made a donation during our Thanksgiving live stream. Really, really appreciate it. So, Justin, that's why you are going to be our chauffeur for this episode. If you guys can't support the show financially, I totally understand. I really do. Just help spread the word about Dead Rap Radio. That helps out so much. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell everyone you know. Dead Rapper Radio is your favorite paranormal show. And before we get started, I know I said we have a lot to cover, and we do. I wanted to say this. I just got off work. I'm still wearing my work clothes. I'm still wearing my work boots, which is another way to say I'm very uncomfortable. I hate any sort of footwear, especially boots. I just got off work. I'm recording this episode. After I'm done, I got to go back to work. For more work, and I'm not saying this to complain, I'm saying this to inspire, I want to let you guys know there is nothing about me that makes this possible, and the reason why I'm saying this is I, for years, constantly procrastinated and put stuff off. I described all this in an episode, I'll put it in the show notes for more detail, but basically, I wasn't happy with where I was at in life. I'm a creative person, and I wasn't creating. And then finally, one day, I sat down and recorded the first three episodes of this podcast. Because I knew I had to do something. I had to change something. And the last five years, I couldn't even imagine where I'm at with the show now. This is the fastest-growing paranormal podcast in the world. And I'm so happy to just be a part of it. Like, you're a part of it. So the reason why I'm saying all this stuff, I don't have unlimited time to record episodes. I don't have all the time in the day to sit there and research and edit and all that stuff. I make time. And that's all that I'm asking you guys to do. This is I'm not selling a book. This isn't making time to give me money or anything like that. I want you guys to make time for what you're passionate about. Some of you may need to make time to find what you're passionate about. But start start that process. Start that process because it really is a life-changing thing when you're able to find that thing you love and craft it and then share it with other people. I don't have a lot of time. I'm literally, like I said, I got to like in an hour, if this episode's not done, I got to go back to work, come home, finish it, edit. I'll probably be up working on this episode till 11 o'clock, maybe even midnight, and I got to go back to work tomorrow. I just make the time. That's what I'm asking you guys to do. Make that time for what you're passionate about. Even so much, if you have to stop listening to this podcast to focus on what you need to do, do that. Do that. We will be here when you come back. We will still be here putting out episodes. So I really want you to take that. If you learn anything from this podcast, honestly, it's that. Take the time, make the time to do what you're passionate about or to find what you're passionate about it will pay off in spades in the end and that makes me feel good when i get emails too when people tell me that they did that so (laughs) again it's not about me it it really will change your life and even if you got to stop listening to dead rabbit radio for a while to focus on that to focus on your thing do it you don't have to listen every day but i'm glad you listened to at least this one Let's get started here, Justin. I'm going to go ahead. We'll start off by tossing you the keys to the Hare Hovercraft. Everyone climb on board. We're leaving behind that rabbit radio command. Justin, hover us all the way out to Florida. Nice, leisurely glide in the Hare Hovercraft. Might be one of my favorite vehicles just because I think of... Just because I think of G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe action figures when I was a kid. That's what I imagine the hair of hovercraft look like. Or real hovercraft if you're more into the real world. Into the lame realistic stuff. Imagine that. Anyways, we're headed all the way up to Florida. Tampa, Florida to be specific. It's January 17th, 2024. Super recent story. In Tampa, Florida... We're going to meet a man named Michael Monroe Banks. He's 42 years old, and he's currently in the bedroom of his house, the house he shares with his mother. And his 17-year-old daughter, we'll call his mother Bianca, who's 60, and his teenage daughter Marie, we'll call her that. Those aren't their real names. 17 years old. So that's who he's currently sharing the house with. But he he's in his bedroom right now, and he's in a panic. He realizes something... Really bad's about to happen. He's been prepared for this. He goes into his bedroom and he begins loading his handgun. Let's step back a couple days and take a look at this family. That's pretty common, right? Multigenerational families living in one home. Michael, his mother Bianca, fake name. His daughter Marie, again fake name. We don't know much of Michael's backstory at this point. But it can all be summed up. (laughs) You're going to make a lot of... You're like, oh, is this guy defending his home from a robbery? Did an alligator break in? It is Florida, after all. Why is he loading up this handgun on January 17th? Well, apparently a couple days earlier, he gave his daughter a letter. And Marie opens it up and reads it. This letter from Michael, from her father, says, you need to make a vow to me. You need to make a vow to me that you will not date any guys. You will not date any guys. You're like, oh, he's one of those dads, right? He's one of those guys that's like, you can't date until you're 32. I got to meet all your boyfriends. That's maybe that's why he's loading his gun. Maybe one of Marie's boyfriends came over. We all have seen dudes like that in the media. It's a pretty common trope. I haven't really met anyone like that in real life unless they're joking. You know, oh, my daughter can't date till, till she's 58. Okay, whatever. But he's saying, You have to vow to me that you will not date any guys. And you're like, okay, he's one of those guys, super possessive. But that's not all the letters said. Not only did the letters say you can't date any guys, it said there is one guy that you can date. Me. Michael said the only man you will be allowed to be involved in a romantic and sexual relationship with is me, your dad. We're going to have a romantic and sexual relationship with each other. <laughs> like, oh, wow, Jason, this is it. Zero to hundred real quick. The only person you can be in a relationship with is your father. And you must vow not to date anybody else. And Marie got this letter. I, here's the thing. I would be really, really interested to know what the warning signs were. Because I'm sure there were some. I don't think this came out of the blue. Were there warning signs? She gets this letter saying, you can't date any other guys. You have to date me. You have to make a vow to only be in a relationship with me. Marie reads the letter, and she does the smart thing. She takes it to her grandma. They're all living in the same house, and she goes, Grandma, Dad gave me this letter. And shows it to her, and the grandma's like, oh, my God. Like, is he serious? Yeah, yeah, he sent me this letter. And it says, I can't date anybody but him. And the grandma, Michael's mom, Bianca, she does the smart thing, too. She calls a friend to come over. Her friend, we do have her name. Her name is Josephine Muentes. She's 52 years old. Bianca invites Josephine over and tells her about the letter. Hey, uh, my son said that Marie can only date him. and can't date anyone else. Like, this is super creepy, right? I'm not... I'm not reading the tea leaves wrong on this. And the friend's like, oh, no, this is horrifying. So they start to hatch a plan. They say, we can either kick Michael out of the house or pack up everything that we can in one go and take Marie with us and we'll just leave. I'm sure eventually they would have to call the police, especially if they tried kicking him out. I don't necessarily know if a crime has been bro I mean several moral crimes have been broken, several disgusting decisions have been made by Michael. I don't know if it's illegal. <laughs> it's not something I'm gonna test. It's definitely not something I'm gonna Google. Is it a ali- it would be illegal to be in a relationship with your daughter? Yes. I don't know if it's illegal to write them a letter asking or telling them. <laughs> Here's the thing that <laughs> it sounds like it should be. If it isn't, it sounds like it should be. But Josephine and Bianca are trying to devise a plan. Do they kick Michael out of the house? That'll probably take a little bit of time. Do they abscond with Marie so he can't find her? They got to do something, though. This is weird. What happens is January 17th, 2024, Michael is walking through the house, and he hears Josephine and Bianca talking about the letter. What should we do? He wrote her this letter. I mean, like, we can't, we gotta do something. We can't stay here no matter what. Like, we'd rather be homeless than have to deal with this. Just pack all our stuff up and leave. And Michael, in that moment, felt completely betrayed by his daughter. He felt so there. I mean, here's the thing the guy's definitely has some mental issues. He must have thought that this was going to be okay, that his daughter would have gone along with this. And she didn't, and she told her grandma, and Michael's now realizing this. Michael realizes that his daughter is not going to date him, that his daughter is telling other people about what's going on. So he runs upstairs and begins loading his handgun. What's interesting, this is a weird detail to fixate on, considering all the other details, considering this disgusting man ordering his daughter to date him, but I, I do think it's it's a curiosity, I think it does kind of show this dude's, um, I'm not going to say everyone who owns one of these, <laughs> I'm definitely not going to say everyone who owns one of these is an incest-loving lunatic, But it is an odd choice of personal defense weapons. I could see a museum having one or an avid gun collector having one. But if you had a collection of guns, why would you choose this one? This gun that he has for home defense is such a poor choice for that. It just shows that he's probably made a lifetime of poor choices. He runs upstairs. He starts loading his handgun. I didn't even know these existed. It's a... Muzzle-loading handgun. So you know, like, those old giant guns that they used during the Civil War where they, like, have to measure out just the right amount of gunpowder and stick a little wad in, and they have that stick, push it down into the barrel, and then they fire, and then it takes another three minutes to reload? And how gun technology has come so far since then? Listen, I'm glad he chose such an ineffective gun, considering the bloodbath that's about to happen. It could have been far worse. But I think it goes to show that he's just a terrible decision maker. He has a six-shot muzzle-loading... I had to I had to look it up. I was like, this can't be real. This has to be some AI reporter typed this article up. He had a six-shot muzzle-loading revolver. And sure enough, he ran up in his bedroom, and he had to measure out six little bits of gunpowder and put in the little wad with the ball in it and press it down. And he's taking his time. But eventually, it takes him a couple of minutes, he gets this gun completely loaded, and he walks downstairs. Bianca is still in the kitchen with Josephine, and they're just talking about what they're going to do, what their next step is. When all of a sudden, Josephine crumples to the ground. Michael has taken this six-shot muzzle-loading handgun and shot Josephine directly in the head, killing her. And Bianca sees this. It's from her point of view. She's talking to her friend and all of a sudden her friend just slumps over. Bianca turns to run out of the house. Michael raises the pistol. Lines up another shot. And takes it. Marie is upstairs in the shower. And she hears two gunshots. And she knows immediately who it is. She's not thinking it's a a burglar. She's not thinking it's a home invasion. She knows it's her father. So again, there must have just been a whole sea of warning signs over the years. She jumps out of the shower and she races to the bathroom door. And she knows that there is a man downstairs with a gun, possibly two dead bodies. One of them may be her grandmother. And she knows that she may be next and she's standing there in the bathroom when Michael walks up the stairs. She figures her best bet is to buy some time and she holds the bathroom door shut as Michael's trying to get in. But once he realizes he can't get in to murder his daughter... He fires a single round through the door. It misses Marie. Luckily, it misses Marie, and she opens the door and is able to make her way past Michael and begins running down the stairs, trying to get outside. He fires the gun again, hits Marie in the leg, but she continues running until she's outside the house, and that's when she sees, miraculously, her grandmother Bianca also outside the house, blood trickling from her head. He shot his mom, but the bullet just grazed her. At this point, the police are called. At this point, you have four gunshots being fired. You have people running out of a house screaming for help. 911 is called. It's time for Michael to reload his gun. Michael's starting to reload his gun. It's gonna take a while. And while he's doing that, he sees a cop running across his neighbor's front yard. Mark aims and takes two shots at the police officer, misses both of them, sets the gun down on the table, and surrenders. Charged with first-degree murder. One count of first-degree attempted murder, which is interesting because I think it should be two. When he shot through the door at his daughter, the police noted that the shot was at head height. It wasn't like he was trying to shoot the lock off. It wasn't like he was just trying to shoot through the door. It just randomly, it was where a human head would have been. Marie is very, very lucky that she did not get killed. She's totally fine. I mean, she did get shot in the leg, but she's alive. Grandma's alive. Josephine did die from her bullet wound. First degree murder. First degree attempted murder. First degree attempted murder of a law enforcement officer and a felon with a firearm. And so that made me interested, too. I go, okay, what else has this uh, crazed lunatic been up to? Uh, Back in 2007, he was convicted of battery of a pregnant woman. And then had another battery in 2010, not involving a pregnant woman, right? I mean, just a normal person got beat up by this guy. In 2007, it was a pregnant lady. Absolutely insane. Absolutely insane guy. And where did he fit into society? I would assume, yeah, he did have a job. I would assume that people worked with this guy and were friends with this guy. Knew this dude in high school. Hung out with them on the weekends. Like, who would... Imagine if one of your friends was trying to sleep with their daughter. (laughs) Like, I don't want to imagine that. I don't want to imagine that at all. That's the worst hypothetical ever. It's probably unlikely that one of your friends would do it. But somebody's doing it. This guy's doing it. Is he the anomaly? Yeah, Jason, he's the anomaly. This this is a very, very rare crime. Why did you pause? Yes, this is the anomaly. It might be. I I would say, yeah, it's the anomaly. This isn't common. But it doesn't make it any less terrifying. We talked a long time ago about this episode in the show notes. There's that, I don't remember what the subreddit name is off the top of my head, but I think it was Incest Confessions. It was kind of along the same line. It was this guy who was talking about paying prostitutes that looked like his daughter and he would take the prostitute back to his house while the family was out of town and sleep with the prostitute in his daughter's bed while she was wearing his daughter's clothing like there's something completely broken about that and that was horrible enough that didn't involve anyone getting killed I have a feel. I do have a feeling, we'll put our conspiracy cap on and then we gotta move on to the next story, but I wonder, listen, when I was a kid, every so often you'd find like a Playboy magazine in the bushes or a p- penthouse, and you know, you'd read it, you, maybe you'd be brave enough to t- tear out a page, take it home, you, you, maybe you would just look in the bushes as you were walking by, you're like, oh, it's a booby, awesome but you weren't brave enough to to take the whole thing. That happened a lot when I was a kid. You'd always see Playboys. I, I think now, looking back, because you would see them, I saw a lot, probably the first couple times I saw nudie mags were in bushes. And as an adult, I think, the really the only places I was walking was to and from school. I started to think, I wonder if pedophiles were throwing those magazines in the bushes on purpose. But that's not my conspiracy theory. <laughs> that is a conspiracy theory. But I it, I think it could be could be something like that. But back then, porn was so tame. Like, you didn't have the craziness and the access to it now. You know, a lot of people don't have a problem with it. A lot of people don't have a problem with, with such wide access to porn. I, I don't personally think it's healthy for men to be watching as much porn as there's available out there. But... I mean, you gotta wonder, like, is the accessibility of such hardcore pornography, and anyone can access it at such an early age, could we start seeing more absolutely mind-blowingly perverted crimes in the future? Was this a one-off thing? Was this guy, he just was in love with his daughter and wanted to sleep with her? Was this a guy who spent time on... Forums like incest confessions or watching stepfather, stepdaughter videos on Pornhub or whatever. Did he let the sickness rise up inside of him? Was he a totally normal guy who just snapped? Was he a normal guy who was slowly getting corroded by the decay that he was allowing into his life? Was he always a few screws loose? Was he always off He was always just a weirdo, even as a kid. And this is just the end result of that insanity. We don't know. We don't know. This is one of the stories because it's not a super popular true crime story like Scott Peterson. There's never going to be a big book written about this guy's childhood and history. These are questions we'll never know. We can just surmise. But I wonder if we'll start to see more perverted crimes in the future. Hope not. (laughs) I think that's something we can all agree with. When I was a kid, you'd find a nudie magazine in the bushes. Maybe you'd rent Faces of Death. Maybe you'd rent some video too gory for TV. Maybe you'd rent it at Blockbuster. They didn't rent it, but you know, some video store. It would be an hour of people getting killed in accidents. Nowadays, you can do pay-to-order monkey torture videos. You see what I mean? Like, there's this escalation over time. And it used to just be like Betty Page in a... Tight, one-piece swimsuit. Oh, my God, it's so risque and to the point where I'm finding nudie magazines and bushes, and now you—that that's so tame. That's totally tame, and I wonder if that will also be the evolution of sex crimes, perverted crimes, perverted motives at the very least. Hope not. I hope this never happens again. I hope this is this one guy's... Story, and it will never, ever happen again. But I think it's safe to say, unfortunately, that is probably not the case. Justin Mosier, we're going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the world-famous carbon copter. we are leaving behind, Florida. Fly us all the way out to Pennsylvania. I had to run to work in the middle of this. Went to work, put in another three hours, just got home, still haven't had time to take off my shoes. If I can do it, you can do it. I just want to keep hammering that home. I'm not bragging either. I want to make that very clear. I just want to hammer the point home that if I can do it, you can do it. If I can do it, you can do it. I truly believe that. But I'm done. I'll stop hammering it. It officially is the end of hammer time. I'll stop hammering that point in... Justin has taken us all the way out to Pennsylvania. It's a picturesque place out in the Pocono Mountains. Now, if you go to the Pocono Mountains and you happen to find a place called Cease Hill Road. Just a tip, it's probably going to be pretty difficult to find, but you can find it on Google Earth. There were some coordinates given in this post I'm about to look into. Cease Hill Road. If you go up there or just look at it from Google Earth, because I have a job, I have to go do that. I can't drive around the country looking at these places yet. Seas Hill Road, if you go up there, you're going to find a huge campground. And when I say huge, we're talking 57 acres of beautiful campground. But now it's been abandoned, long abandoned. The buildings are slowly being left to rot. But back in its heyday, it was known as Camp Nanro. And at Camp Nanro, we're going to meet a young girl. We'll call her Becky. We don't have a real name. She's between the ages of 11 and 12. And she's at Camp Nanro. She had a pretty killer agreement, too. She didn't have to do any of the boring camp stuff. She could do all the fun stuff. And when they started doing something boring like butterfly swimming or swinging or whatever, she would just walk around the camp. And the reason why she got... This type of a posh treatment was that her mother was friends with the owners. So Becky and her older brother, they could do what they wanted at this camp. <laughs> They're all setting other cabins on fire. Well, actually, <laughs> that was just a joke, but we'll get into that in a second. They could do whatever they wanted. While Becky was there, and this is bound to happen at summer camp, Becky made a friend at camp, and what can be better than that? She met this young girl, we'll call her Paula. Paula, her and her family were renting a cabin nearby, and that's something that Camp Nanro did. You had the cabins for the campers, but then there was also cabins nearby that families could rent for the weekend, maybe even for the season. Becky and Paula became fast friends. They hung out every single day for about two weeks. Well, one day, it's 5 p.m., Paula comes to see Becky and says, hey, hey, Becky, you know what? Me and my family, we're going to go down to the lake. You want to come with us? Becky's like, yeah, sure. That sounds totally awesome. (laughs) She's been to the lake eight times that day, but what else are you going to do when you have free reign at a summer camp? Becky meets up with Paula and her family, and they head on down to the lake. The next thing Becky remembers is she's back at camp. Becky remembers walking through, like, the welcoming gates, the Welcome to Camp Nanro gates, leading out of the camp, headed towards the lake. She doesn't remember anything else. But she knows something's up for a couple reasons. One, when she left, it was 5 p.m. Now it's pitch dark. It's super late at night slash early in the morning. Becky would soon learn that it's 1 a.m. So she lost eight hours of time. Two, that's her first inclination, something's wrong. Two, there's police cars everywhere. So you figure even if only 15 minutes have passed, if the police show up and they're everywhere, that means something has gone wrong. And they're looking for her. Becky's having a hard time processing this. She had been missing for eight hours. Nobody knew where she was. In fact, after the camp had called the police and the police came out to help look for this preteen girl, the camp notified Becky's mom. She gets a call, bring, bring, your daughter's missing. So the police are searching the area. Her brother is just sobbing because he thinks his sister is gone. And Becky doesn't understand what's going on. She just stepped out. Just stepped out a few minutes ago. She has a hazy memories, but nothing concrete. And she starts to tell her story, because obviously like she's been found, everyone's happy. The mom is called up and said, hey, we found your daughter. Where was she? Well, we're trying to figure that out. Becky kept saying, well, it was like 5 p.m. when I left. Paula came over with her family, and we went down to the lake. And the counselors at the camp are going, who in the world is Paula? She's like, you know, Paula, her and her family, they're renting that cabin. I was hanging out with them and they're like, what are you talking about? And she took them to the cabin where she had been before with Paula and her family. It was empty. No one had rented this cabin recently. Definitely not a girl named Paula and her family. No one was renting out that cabin. No one could find any trace of Paula. No one, not even Becky, knows where she was for those eight hours. And after that event, even though Becky still kept going to camp, She never saw Paula or Paula's family ever again. Probably a good thing, right? Probably a good thing. And what's interesting is after this event had happened, because the family couldn't really figure out any way to rationally explain what happened, they just completely pretended that it didn't happen. That was the easiest thing to do. Now, this story was posted on the board not too long ago. I think it was earlier in the month of January. Someone posted online, and that was the story of his girlfriend when she was younger. I'm dating this girl, and she told me this crazy story about what happened at Camp Nanro when she was a preteen. But that's not all. That in and of itself would be an interesting paranormal story. But that's not all that this person posted on the X board about. This is some crazy stuff. And not only is it crazy, there's news articles to back it up. Him and other people on X that day were able to find more articles about the events we're about to talk about, more websites, satellite footage of this campground, because he really didn't know. The guy who posted it had never been there. But based off of information in news articles... He was able to kind of zero in on it. That's the cool thing I love about X, right? There's a lot of succubus threads. There's a lot of tulpa threads. And that's just not my cup of tea. I know people really love that stuff. It's not my cup of tea. Go get them, Tiger. Like, if that's your thing, then those threads are for you. But every so often, you get something like this. That X really comes out and shines as the paranormal community that it is. That it truly is. So... You go news articles. Okay, so was this in the news when his girlfriend went missing? No, that wasn't in the news, but this next story was. And this next story is... Let's go ahead and get into it. Let's go ahead and get into it. July 31st, 2006. We don't know when the girlfriend story took place, but we know when this one did. The family that owned Camp Nounrow, that was also friends with Becky's mom... They were a Russian family, a Russian immigrant family. And their grandmother lived on the campgrounds, which just sounds hilarious, which sounds like both the best place and the worst place for a grandma to be. On one hand, she's surrounded by youthful energy. And there's very few things that are as uplifting as an old woman being surrounded by young life. Also, she's at a campground, right? There's probably not the best amenities it's not like you can really have any time yourself kids are constantly pulling pranks on you filling your depends diapers full of cow or all sorts of stuff so it could be <laughs> it could be uh, a blessing and a curse but she lived on the campgrounds and she said this grandma said this place has a really bad energy i don't know why you guys are putting me here please let me go please just let me live in the wilderness as long as the wilderness isn't near here." This place has a bad energy about it. I don't like it. There's something wrong here. Her granddaughter and the daughter of the camp owners, we'll call her Sabrina. The news article did not give her real name. And the guy who wrote on X didn't give her real name either. He included this story as well, but then provided links to back it up. News articles to back it up. We'll call her Sabrina though. She's 17 years old. She's the daughter of the camp owners granddaughter of grandma running around the camp. She's the daughter of the owners of the camp. She lives nearby. She doesn't live on the campgrounds like grandma. She lives nearby. But every single summer she spent at the camp, which that would be dope. And again, I'm sure she kind of had the same deal that Becky did. She could just kind of do what she wanted. Sabrina is a young, beautiful, rich woman. She has her whole life ahead of her, and from outward appearances, you would think the world was ready to just fall at her feet. Like, if you only had one or two of those things, right, if you were beautiful but poor, you can still have a pretty nice ride, assuming you don't get into drugs or get pregnant too early, things like that. If you're not beautiful but rich, you're going to have a pretty good ride. You might not be the best-looking girl at the dance, but you could probably buy the dance hall. But she had it all. She was young, rich, and beautiful. Staying at this camp. Well, on July 31st, 2006, 5 p.m., a gunshot is heard in the camp. A gunshot coming from one of the cabins where the campers lived. A gunshot coming from the cabin that Sabrina stayed in. Sabrina's grandmother, since she lives on the property, she hears the gunshot. She's concerned. She goes to check. These cabins are laid out. There's 10 bunk beds in the cabin. So all these girls could sleep there. But as she's making her way into the cabin, she sees her granddaughter, her beautiful young granddaughter, laying there on her bunk with a bullet hole through her head. And her hand still on the pistol that she used to take her own life. This gun was on campgrounds as a security measure they had a firearm just in case it was locked up in the main office and obviously the first read of this would be she's the camp owner's daughter she would know that the gun was there she was a camp owner's daughter she would have access to the main office she was the camp owner's daughter she probably had a set of keys that most campers didn't have she would have access to this gun There's really no question as to if she killed herself. Pretty much everything points to if she killed herself. The big question is why. This is where we get into conspiracy territory, and this is where it can become a little more tasteless. We're taking a real-life tragedy, because this was in the news. When this was posted on X, he told the story about his girlfriend... He told the story about this girl, got a few of the details wrong. And then when he was able to find the news article, he goes, I must have heard these details wrong. My girlfriend's a really bad storyteller. He fessed up to some of the stuff not matching the official story. And and that happens, right? He's telling a story that his girlfriend told him from long ago. Because his girlfriend told him about Sabrina as well. But when you look at the news article, it's 5 p.m. She shot herself. But the word around the camp, the rumor, was that in the days, if not weeks, before Sabrina took her own life, she had begun hearing voices, and the voices were trying to get Sabrina to hurt herself. The guy who posted this on the export said after that had happened... The owners obviously fell into a deep depression. Their daughter had committed suicide. They didn't sell the campground, but they just kind of let it decay into rot. You can find photos of it. You could probably visit it. I'm not going to recommend that because it would be trespassing. But it's just there's like a pool and then there's a couple buildings and it's mostly just like a campground. But as far as we can tell right now, nobody is utilizing it. The death of Sabrina, and again, they didn't give a real name in the article, but the death of Sabrina was written about in the Pocono Record by Andrew Scott. He wrote this article about her death, and it ends with this statement, quote, if the girl's death is ruled a suicide, which which eventually it was, if the girl's death is ruled a suicide, it would be the fifth suicide of a high school student in less than two years in Monroe County. So obviously because, you know, I I, I want to compare this stuff. It's not the funnest way to spend an evening. But I started looking at suicide stats for any given city. What's the average amount of suicides that tends to happen in a school district? Um, more than you want is what I learned. I couldn't find any hard statistics to say that five suicides in less than two years if that's high or low the population differences and things like that it wasn't able to compare it interesting statement though for a journalist to make so obviously Andrew Scott thought that was out of character for Monroe County itself I don't know how that compares I don't know if that's above average I don't know if that's way above average I don't know if that's on par with suicide rates I wish it was zero obviously But to Andrew Scott, who's a reporter in that area, it struck him as odd. That's far more than he had heard of in any other given comparable time period. So it's interesting. So the original poster on X, he is posting this stuff and he's continuing to dig because people are really getting into it because he's actually producing this information. He's telling us a paranormal story none of us have ever heard before. And it's obviously, I feel like I skated over this. Let's go backwards. It's interesting that we have both of those encounters happening at 5 p.m. We have his girlfriend when she was a young girl, Becky. At 5 p.m., Paula showed up and said, let's go to the lake. And then we have Sabrina kill herself a couple years later. Also at 5 p.m. So is there a correlation between that? That's when we start to look at, is there some sort of paranormal force on the grounds here at this camp that is destroying young lives. People were throwing out different theories, too. One person said that it's possible that Becky, when she left with the family, because she doesn't remember anything, they may have tried to entice her into killing herself as well. Listen, I know know it's super tasteless, because we're talking about a real person dying here, but that's an interesting theory. That there is this force there that did try to also kill Becky. Either by seemingly accident or by her own hand or possibly murdered through supernatural means. But for whatever reason, Becky survived. We don't know. That's just a theory. I thought it was interesting. I was going to throw that out. What isn't a theory is as the original poster on this X board, the boyfriend of Becky, he said, nearby the campground, because everyone's kind of digging into this now, and he's digging in for more information, nearby the campground, there is an abandoned resort called the Inn at Buck Falls. And if you haven't heard anything else about any of these other stories, You may have heard of that place. It is legendary locally, and it's been covered in ghost hunting shows as an extremely haunted hotspot. It was built in 1901 and went through a series of owners over the decades until 1991, when it was eventually shut down. In 2003, the inn at Buck Falls suffers substantial damage due to arson. 2015, a new owner buys the property, and the way he's setting it up, because it was this beautiful inn, it was this beautiful hotel, the west wing of the hotel was going to be turned into a boutique hotel, while the east wing would be reserved for condos, so long-term living on one side, the other side you just rent out for a day trip or the weekend or what have you. According to the website Pennsylvania Paranormal, Native American tribes who lived in this area considered this particular patch of land to be off-limits. They said that it was the home of evil spirits. Nothing good would come of any human trying to make this place to their home. Modern psychics, people who investigate the area today, say that the property, the Innit Buck Falls, was built where ley lines, these powerful theoretical, you know, this stuff's never been proven, but ley lines is, is this idea that there are these immutable lines of energy that crisscross the planet. And where they intersect, tend to be a very, very powerful place, one way or the other. It's this natural energy grid. It's kind of like the five-second explanation for it. But where the inn at Buck Falls was built, it was on one of these ley lines, and the east room of the inn was built right where these ley lines converge, creating a dark energy vortex. Just to review, that is where they are planning on building the permanent housing. Not the weekend vacationers. You're going to buy a condo, you're going to live there, and you're living on top of a dark energy vortex. Over the years, so apparently when this was the Inn at Buck Falls, the rumor is, is that it was, I don't even know how much of this is a rumor, but that this was a very, very popular place among mafioso. This was a place they loved to hang out or bring their wives or their mistresses it was a hangout spot in the heyday of gangsters they'd go to this inn at buck falls so of course stories came along that there were multiple murders over the decades on this property again it's Not in the middle of nowhere. I mean, based on the satellite footage, at least. It's not in the middle of nowhere, but it's also not near anything. If that kind of makes sense. It's not like way, 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 way off deep in the mountains. You can never reach there. But also, I mean, if you wanted to bury a body or two, it wouldn't be that hard to do that. I mean, there's definitely a lake nearby. Cement shoes. Throw them down there. Mafioso apparently used to party there a lot, hang out there. Murders have been reported there. However, and this was also in the Pennsylvania Paranormal website, if I remember correctly, if, if I cited this correctly. There was an MTV show called Fear. It's like a ghost show, ghost hunting type show, kind of exaggerated everything. The MTV show Fear said that 73 murders took place at Buck Hill. And that cannot be verified. That's a number that most people believe is extremely exaggerated, and it has muddied any real research into the place. They like hype the numbers up, so it's unknown how many people were c- killed there. I mean honestly, the bodies would have been hidden. It's the mafia. It'd probably always be unknown What could be going on there nowadays. There are rumors that if you're out in this area, you can see shadowy figures walking through the buildings. Poltergeist activity in the buildings. Because it is a place you can go now. For a while it was just completely shut down. And this was the inn at Buck Falls. This is not Camp Nanro. Camp Nanro is just very close to this place. So it wouldn't make sense if you had such powerful psychic energy. It would probably be leeching off in opposite directions. We're talking about uncontrollable spiritual. energy i was trying to think of another word i'm trying to think of another word for energy but it's probably leeching out the whole area is most likely cursed the native americans knew it's not like they said oh but if you go past that grove of trees everything's going to be okay the whole area probably goes on for a bit it's a place you wouldn't want to be but if you're just driving around and looking for someplace beautiful to buy some property and maybe even set up a camp that sounds fun if you're not attuned to the psychic energy of an area You're going to build a camp there. And you. the Native Americans knew there was something wrong with it, but obviously this huge resort was built nearby and ended up having all of these problems, all of these owners changing hands. Now there's shadow people walking around. And again, the arson. Made that joke earlier about Becky burning down a cabin. That's where we get, I don't know how many... And it's a horrible stat if I did know it. But how many high school students kill themselves in any given school district over a less than two year period? If five is the over under, it's horrible to even think about. However, the arsons—the arsons in the Pocono area—seem to be numerous and terrifyingly bizarre. So numerous, I can't even list them all. At a certain point, the original poster was just listing arson after arson after arson after arson. And there are news articles you can find on these things. Let's take a look at a couple of them. The creepiest of the bunch. February 10th, 2008. Route 402. These are all in the Pocono area. These aren't necessarily at camp. These aren't necessarily at the camp or at the inn. But these are in the Poconos area. February 10th. 2008, Route 402 near White Heron Lake, kind of rhymes. If you live near the area, <laughs> backpacks, get out of there, move away. You might know these streets, uh, probably not safe. though. At that place, Route 402 near White Heron Lake, there was a caregiver named James Miller, who he was hired to take care of an 81-year-old man named Jack Bates. And one day, well, February 10th was the day, He set the house on fire. And Jack Bates, who had survived 81 years through all the trials and tribulations of life, died of smoke inhalation because his caregiver, the guy who was hired to keep him alive, set a fire in the house. And when police asked James Miller, why did you do it? His response was, he was bored and depressed. November 8th, 2007 and a low mink street, two people in a house died because an eight-year-old was playing with a lighter. It's not really, it's not really super creepy. I think it's just that one's kind of sad. September six, two thousand six, Linda Grant, forty-six years old, was living in the Pocono Township. Was living in Pocono Township. On September six, she calls up nine one one. Telling the operator she's going to kill herself. Emergency personnel was immediately dispatched to her house. By the time she got there, she had already set the house on fire and killed herself. Killed herself in a burning house. That has to be one of the worst ways to go. Polk Township, we're gonna meet a young man named Jin. Spelt how you would hope it wasn't spelt D J I N N, the Islamic Infernal Force, the Beans of Smokeless Fire. This kid's name is Jen Buckingham. He's 12 years old. He starts a fire in his house, killing his cousin, Sierra Carranza, only 11 years old. February 25th, 2004, Polk Township. There's a mother named Samantha Hurt. She ends up setting her house on fire, killing her two children, Matthew, a two-year-old boy, and Sarah, her three-year-old daughter. And I'm leaving out a bunch. Arson after arson after arson after arson. Now, you could argue one of them was the kid playing with a lighter, right? Sometimes it's just kids being done with matches. I set a huge fire when I was a kid, almost torched a church, playing with matches, almost burnt down a church. Shouldn't be playing with matches. Anyways, kids play with matches. It's horrible. People die. But, I mean, 15, 20 different arsons that were just posted in a very short time span. I wonder how far you go back. You can keep finding these. I mean, and killing yourself by setting your house on fire. Being so bored you want to kill a man. And succeeding by setting the house on fire. These are crazy Things, the definition of crazy. So is this, what's interesting about this story is what we truly have is five possibly interconnected things or possibly not. We have a string of incidents involving fire where people are either killed accidentally or murdered. All of these events happening in the Poconos area. That's incident one. We have a old hotel that's rumored to be haunted and possibly has bodies buried, if not on the property in the nearby woods. That's a separate story. And then we have the two, did I say five? I think only four. But then we have the two stories. One about a young girl who loses her memory and has a time loss of around eight hours. And then the story of a young girl who, I want to say mysteriously kills herself. Like, We understand how she did it. The big question is why. And I listen, I get it. Rich, beautiful people can kill themselves too. It's a tragedy either way. But was that the case? Did she just suffer from suicidal ideation? And did she just suffer from suicidal thoughts and they finally got the best of her? Was she... Not thinking about suicide until these voices started talking to her. We don't know. The only person who can really answer that question is Sabrina. We don't know. We don't know. But we have these four possibly interconnected stories. And it would all point to the fact that the Poconos area may actually be infested with something darker than any of us can ever imagine. Something that could convince a young girl to kill herself. We did that story a long time ago about walking Sam. I'll put that episode in the show notes about a suicide demon who walks among the native population. Where did that take place? In Wyoming or like South Dakota or something like that? And they have extremely high suicide rates. And it's this idea that is there actually a demon who feeds off the suicides of... young native americans like that's dark that is so terrifying it's one thing to get possessed by a demon and kill your wife and rip your dog in half that's a true story i'll put that episode in the show notes that's the only episode that's ever really scared me like i had it took me a while to stop thinking about that story the michael taylor i think it was his name was michael taylor i'll put that episode in the show notes um that's terrifying enough but something that a a demon that makes you kill yourself because there is so much more left so many questions why did they do it and and what if i had picked up the phone what if i had reached out to him one last time when you stab your wife to death i mean you might have those thoughts as well but you can also just go i guess that was one crazy dude i guess that guy just kind of lost it that's weird i didn't think he'd be that kind of guy If he took his own life, it creates all these other questions. And a lot of people surrounding the suicide feel responsible for it. Which, except for certain cases, generally when someone goes on a murder spree and rips a dog in half, you're not going to take the blame. You're not going to feel that blame on you. If you see someone who's getting deeper and deeper into gang life and you don't reach and pull them out, and then they shoot up a bunch of gang members and now they're doing 25 to life. You may feel responsible for that because you're like, I really should uh, try to help that guy out a little bit more. But not so much as if that guy had killed himself in the middle of the night. Like it does affect a wider group of people, a demon that could do that. And I'm saying demon. I mean, I don't even know what's here. I, I, I if these stories are all true and if these stories are all connected, I do think we see a through line. It's the utter destruction of life. Demons a lot of times will just like corrupt you. Sometimes they'll have you rip your dog in half, but a lot of times it's all about the corruption and the destruction of the family, of the life you struggled so hard to build. All of a sudden you find yourself in the throes of a gambling addiction or you're cheating on your wife you've been with for 20 years and you have multiple kids with and now you're banging any floozy that looks your way it's kind of what demons are more known for this one just like and again i don't know if it's a demon i don't know what it is it's just about the destruction of life and in some ways just the destruction of young life we only have a few victims i mean at least of the examples that i pulled of of these fires really only we had a woman who killed herself with a fire and then we had a guy 81 years old who died in a fire the rest of them were kids rest of them are fairly young, I should say. Maybe not all kids. But, um, and now that I'm thinking about it, you know what could be even creepier is that I keep saying demon, and that would, that would assume there's some sort of intelligence or agenda around this. On yesterday's episode, I said, what would you rather do, be killed by a tornado or killed by a guy who walks up behind you and puts a bullet through your brain? And I said, I'd rather die in a tornado because th- that's not evil. There's no evil behind that. That's just raw, uncontrollable nature. To be the victim of evil. It just, it seems, I mean, I'm, de- I'm dead either way, but it just seems worse. And that's kind of, I keep ascribing there's like an agenda to this. Like this demons trying to devour young souls, but it could actually be in a way worse and it's kind of opposite of what i said yesterday it couldn't not have an agenda There are going to be so much raw dark psychic energy blasting out of this area the same thing when you're using a water pressure hose to like knock the gravel off the side of a house or knock the gravel off the side of your truck you're using one of those high powered hoses and you're like and you're spraying the truck and just dirt and rocks and mud are flying in every direction you're not attempting to hit bumblebees who are flying in the air. You're not attempting to blast the squirrels in the eyeballs with all of this shrapnel, all of this little tiny rocks and debris flying off your truck because you just went mudding and then you're spraying it down with a high pressure hose. Do people use high pressure hoses on their trucks? Probably not. Probably ruin their paint job. But same thing. If you're just using a hose, or you're using a high pressure hose on a on a driveway. You guys get the point. You're just It's just a byproduct. You're not trying to shoot this stuff everywhere. And it probably is hurting things. It's flying off in every direction. There's no intelligence behind it. It's randomly flying through your yard. It's eventually going to hit something. Eventually hummingbirds are going to get hit in the noggin with a little rock that was stuck on your patio and you're using the pressure washer to clean it off. You didn't mean to kill that hummingbird. You may not even know you killed that hummingbird. You may find that hummingbird a couple days later and be like, well, that's weird. You see a dead hummingbird in your yard. What? And that might be what's going on here. This convergence of ley lines could just be blasting out so much unregulated, uncontrollable energy. And it's just boop, 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 flying off in all these multiple directions. And eventually somebody's going to get hit. And the longer amount of time it goes on, the more people who are going to get hit. And it just looks like this bizarre string of suicides. It just looks like this unending wave of arsons. You're taking totally, quote-unquote, normal people... And they're living their quote-unquote normal life, and then this blast of dark energy hits you and completely corrupts you from the bottom up. That could be what's happening. It could be that there's no intelligence behind that. And in this case, you would almost wish it was a demon. You'd almost wish that it was a battle of good against evil. Forget what I said in yesterday's episode, what would you rather be the victim of? A demon slowly plotting, obsessing every day over you, slowly trying to destroy your life? Or a random car crash? That's the whole thing with the gang stalkers, right? It makes the people who think they're being gang stalked so important. As much as they hate being gang stalked, it does separate them from the rest of the normies out there. It gives them a sense of importance. What's interesting is, I will be the first to admit, I didn't come up with this theory about the ley lines converging until I, until I started talking out loud during this episode. I put about as much thought into it as time has passed since I mentioned it, which has probably been like seven five to seven minutes at this point, maybe a little bit longer. That really wouldn't work in Becky's case because for two weeks she hallucinated this family. This family did not exist. And so there does seem to be that there was some sort of intelligence in that story. Something was slowly weaving its way into Becky's life. So it could be an intelligence behind it. It could just be this cosmic force shooting off at every possible angle like a sparkler being whizzled around against the night sky. Could be both. Could be none of them. Could be a series of unconnected events. But either way, if you're looking for a place to vacation this year, or even worse, a place to move to, I'd think twice before going to the Poconos. It could be that all of this stuff is just one huge series of coincidences None of it is connected, and the place is as perfectly normal as any other place on the planet. But if you're wrong, you may be the next headline of a news article in the Pocono Record. You may have your last moments of life documented in a news article. You may have your mysterious death posted on the X-Board. Just another name. Just another murder. Just another day. In the Poconos. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash Radio. TikTok is at Radio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm so glad you listened to it today. Have a great weekend, guys. I'll see you in a couple days.